Amen. You may be seated tonight. Doesn't it feel good to be on the winning team? As, uh, what is it, uh, Clarence Sexton used to say or says, uh, I'm on the winning side. You know, a lot of times we think we're going to be on the winning side. One day the Lord comes back and we're with him and we spend eternity with him in heaven. And we think, well, then we're going to be on the winning side. The truth is we're already on the winning side. God is already exalted high above anything that on this earth ever has existed. And tonight as a child of God, we've got hope and we should have peace because we're truly on the winning side. And that gives us a reason to smile. Amen. The news doesn't give you a lot of reason to smile, but we have a lot of reason to smile tonight because of who our God is. And before too terribly long, I think he's coming to get us and take us home to be with him. And I hope you know that you're going with him when he comes again. Uh, And if not, we'd like to help you know that for sure tonight before you leave. Amen. Take your Bible out. Turn back to the book of Lamentations tonight. Lamentations. We've been a couple of weeks away from here because we were out of town, but it is good to be back home. Glad to have Brother AJ and Miss Sarah back with us. Uh, They were kind enough to uh, bring all of our luggage home, and uh, they drove it up there so we didn't have to pay a lot of the extra uh, cost on the uh, airlines. We'd have a van when we got there. Just an astronomical amount it was to rent a van up there, so they drove ours all the way up there, and we pulled a little U-Haul trailer around with all of the luggage for the kiddos and our chaperones. Had a great time, but it is good to be home, and uh, I'm just glad I'm not them. I can imagine how tired I would be after driving 5,000 miles. Uh, We did most of ours in the air. We had a great time, and don't forget, this Sunday night, we're going to kind of give a little report on what's been going on uh, with our young people this summer. This is the third week in a row that we've had something going on. Next week will be junior camp. Our teens are at camp right now in Jeff Davis County, and I do hope you pray for them. Pray that God would work in their heart and their life. Uh, As has been mentioned many, many times, camp is a great opportunity for the Lord to work in the hearts of our young people, and who knows what decisions uh, the Lord would have them make while they're away. And I do want to encourage you, when they come back, you encourage them. Amen. Encourage them when they come back. Uh, They are the future generation of Central Baptist Church. Uh, The future pastor of Central Baptist Church may be in that group. Sunday school teachers may be in that group. Deacons may be in that group. Good moms and dads are going to be in that group. And we need to encourage them as they seek to make decisions to walk with the Lord uh, and to do his will. So Sunday night, we're going to hear a lot about that and what God's been doing in the life of our young people through the ministries of our church. And you be sure to encourage them as they make decisions to live for the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3 tonight we're going to be at. We've been skipping through uh, ever since the beginning of the year, looking at some lessons and lamentations. And uh, tonight we're going to continue that in chapter number three. Uh, I've tried to discern the Lord's will and what we preach. And a lot of the themes in chapter two uh, are repeated, some that we have gone over already in chapter number one. And uh, I don't want us to bog down. So the Lord led us on to chapter number three. And chapter three is an amazing chapter. I've enjoyed reading through this uh, throughout the last few days, especially today. Day, just looking at these verses and the change of tone that we're going to see tonight. Now, it's been a few weeks, so remember, Lamentations uh, is what we're reading is the outcome of when God's people rebel against him, much as if we are doing right now in America. When God's people turn their back upon them, God is not going to sweep sin under the rug. I know that's something we're good at. I know that's something that we are probably accustomed to, overlooking our sin, sweeping our sin under the rug, but God doesn't do that. The Bible says that God is a just God, all right? He can't just overlook it. Sin must be dealt with. By the way, that's why he sent Christ. 
Why? Because sin had to be dealt with. And because of a loving God that we have, rather than make us deal with it through eternity in hell, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to deal with our sin on our behalf. That way we could accept a home in heaven. Thank God for that tonight. Amen. But we're looking at the outcome of what happens when a nation or when a people turn their back on God. And this book is aptly entitled Lamentations because that's exactly what happens when you turn your back on God. There will be lamentations. Now, God preserves this for us so that we can learn from it. And I pray we have been learning from it. But chapter number three, there's a lot of verses we're going to read tonight. Normally I don't read a lot of verses, but tonight we need to in order to get the full context of what uh, God is about to do here in chapter number three. So let's pick up in verse number one, follow along as I read. The Bible says, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned, he turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old, he hath broken my bones. He hath built it against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my path crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was in derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Let's stop there and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight, Lord, for your word once again. And Lord, I'm thankful that we can go to it. Lord, how we need it right now. Lord, in times like these, we truly do need our Bible. And I pray that, Father, we're within the pages of this book on a regular basis, seeking, Lord, your will and your way for how we should manage these times where our faith is being challenged, Lord, our, our way of life is being challenged. And, Lord, I pray that we're gaining strength from it as we seek to do tonight. I pray you would encourage us with these truths that we're going to hear from your word. I pray you would speak to hearts in a way that only you can and help us respond obediently, for it's in Jesus. This name. Amen. Now we have gone through chapter one and chapter number two, and I want you to notice something tonight. Chapter number one, chapter two, uh, we see the great detail uh, that's gone into uh, what's happened to God's people when they have rebelled against Him. Now, chapter one and chapter two shows this devastating effect on the nation. We read about all of these things that have happened. We've preached on them at length. And look in chapter two, I want you to see something as this mood is about to change. Chapter number two, we read in verse one, the Lord, verse two, the Lord, verse five, the Lord, verse six, he hath, verse seven, the Lord, verse eight, the Lord. So we see what the Lord is doing and what the Lord has done uh, as the people of God has rebelled, rebelled against him. But we get to chapter number three, there's a noticeable difference that we need to see. Notice suddenly the pronouns become personal. Watch closely and I want you to see it. Uh, It's too obvious to miss. I am the man. 
Verse 2, he hath led me and brought me. Verse 3, surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me, my flesh and my skin. Verse 5, he hath built it against me. Verse 6, he hath set me. And on and on all the way down to verse number 18, you'll count it up over 35 times in 18 verses. He says, I, me, and my. Now, this is very important for us to see tonight because chapter number one, chapter number two, we have seen the collective effects of the sin uh, that the people in their rebellion have received from God. But now we're seeing more of the personal effects. Chapter number one, chapter number two, we see the city is destroyed, God has departed, and the people are now taken captive. And yet now, notice the first few words of verse one of chapter three. I am the man. What I want you to see tonight is now the effects of God's judgment are hitting home. They're hitting home. He says, I am the man. He hath led, what? Me. Now, the affliction is now affecting Jeremiah personally. There's an important point that we can't overlook tonight. He wasn't exempt from this. Neither did he excuse himself from what God was doing within his nation. Now, why is that important? Well, oftentimes it's easy for us to overlook the sin in our own lives. and It's easy for us to excuse and exempt ourselves while yet we're recognizing the needs in the lives of others. Now, I don't know about you, but that comes natural to me. It's easy for me to ride down the road in the car with my wife, and it's easy for me to point out needs in your life and shortcomings in your life and problems in your life than it is for me to point out problems in my life. By the way, that's just a natural tendency that we all have. Let me give you an up-to-date example of that. Uh, Right now, we all know, unfortunately, it's hard not to know that this is what is known as Pride Month. I think we've all seen it just about everywhere. Uh, There are rainbows everywhere. They're on TV. They're on billboards. They're in stores everywhere we go. And they have selected to name this month Pride Month. And first off, let me say I believe it's aptly named because Proverbs 16, 18, the Bible says that pride goeth before destruction. So it is aptly named Pride Month. The Bible calls an abomination uh, to God. And we understand that there's been no civilization on planet Earth that has ever survived that has embraced that lifestyle. Never before has that happened. No nation that has ever embraced that lifestyle reads your history. This is not biblical history. This is world history. There has never been a nation or a people that has embraced that lifestyle that has ever survived very long. And I want you to know, America is not going to be exempt either. Just watch and see. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Now, as much as an abomination is that is, can I ask you a question tonight? Could we admit that it's a lot easier to condemn their pride than it is ours? That's easy, isn't it? Let's be honest tonight. It's a lot easier to condemn their pride, which is an abomination before Almighty God. We admit that. It's a lot easier to condemn that than it is for us to condemn the personal pride we have in our own life. And I thought about a lot today about what I'm about to say, and I believe it wholeheartedly. I believe tonight that the pride movement of the lost is far less dangerous than the pride that's maintained by the saved. Did you hear what I said? The pride movement of the lost is is far less dangerous than the pride that is maintained by the saved. You say, well, how do you know that? Where do you get that from? Think about 2 Chronicles 7.14. 
What does the Bible say? If my people, all right, there's our saved people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves. What is humility? Humility is the opposite of pride. He says, if my people would take care of their pride, then I would heal their land. Folks, I want you to understand, the greatest pride problem in America is not the pride movement, it's the pride that is maintained by the people of God when we fail to recognize the personal sin and the personal needs within our own life. It's so easy to say, hey, there's what's wrong with them and there's what's wrong with them. And yet notice what Jeremiah is doing here. I want you to see this tonight. I'm not calling Jeremiah a bad guy by no means. But notice the judgment of God has hit home with him. He said, it's not just affected my nation. God's judgment upon this nation has affected me. And can I tell you something tonight, folks? I believe we as the church are waiting for the world to get right. Meanwhile, God is waiting for us to get right. We've watched the judgment of God hit home all around our world. I mean, look, you've got to be a blind dummy not to see God's judgment falling on this world. And we see it falling upon the world, but the problem is we refuse to accept how the judgment of God should be affecting us. And Jeremiah says over 35 times in this verse, those personal pronouns of I, me, and my. Matthew chapter 10, I have a long introduction, by the way, because we only have two points, okay? I've got to give you your money's worth. Matthew 10, 14, listen closely. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Now, what is he saying? When you go and you preach the truth, and they don't acknowledge it, what does the Bible say? Kick the dust off your feet. I had a Jehovah's Witness do that to me one time. She came to my house to visit. Usually that was the only people who came down to that dirt road to visit us, UPS and Jehovah's Witness. It wasn't a brown truck, so I knew it must be a, uh, a Jehovah's Witness, and sure enough, it was. A very nice lady came up, and she was offering me some of her material, which I did not want any of her material because it's not truth. And so I said, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. She just kept trying to give it to me, and I finally said, no, I, I'd rather you just keep that. But look, I appreciate what you're doing. I want you to go on and have a nice day and so on. And here's what she does. She hangs her feet out the door, and she clicks her heels together, kicking the dust off her feet. Why? Because I refuse to acknowledge it. This is what God says that, that we ought to do. But listen to the second part of this verse, verse 15. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, notice where the judgment's coming in at. The judgment is coming in at for those who knew better. He says it's more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, that's where the pride movement began, all right? It's nothing new. It's been around a long time. He said it's more tolerable for them than for those who had the truth and refused to acknowledge it. Now, what is that telling us tonight? That's telling us as the people of God, we can sit around and watch the judgment of God fall all around the world and say, yep, that's why that's happening. But sooner or later, it's got to hit home. Sooner or later, some I's, some me's, and some my's have got to enter the equation of what God is trying to do through all of this mess that we're living in, in our personal life. Now, Jeremiah shows us a wonderful example in 18 verses of exactly what happens when we let God's judgment begin to affect us. And tonight, I believe we're looking at the world when we should be looking within. We're looking at the world, and God would have us to look within. Uh, how many times have we said in the last two years, let me tell you what's wrong with America. I should have started writing the, those down years ago. As a kid, how many times did I hear elder men, let me tell you what's wrong with America. I wish I would have wrote all of them down. Brother Nate, I'd have a book by now, maybe volume two by now. 
Let me tell you what's wrong with America. Imagine how much different America would be if when we were looking for a solution, we started with the first few words of verse 1. I am the man. I am the man. Jeremiah did not exclude himself. He didn't excuse himself. You know, folks, look, if we just be honest, look, this is our Wednesday night crowd. I think the Wednesday night crowd is probably the most honest crowd that a church has, all right? So compliments and kudos to you. Can we just be honest tonight? How many times at the end of a service do we excuse ourselves or exempt ourselves from what God wants to do in me and my and I? We hear that message and we think to ourselves, absolutely, the world needs to hear that. When God says, no, you need to hear that. Boy, the world needs to respond to that. Boy, look, let me tell you, that would change the world. God would be satisfied if he'd just change us. But so often the, the judgment of God and what God's trying to do, we don't ever bring it within and look within and see what God's trying to do in our life. So tonight I believe that's exactly what we need to do. We need to look within, and that's the lesson tonight we're going to look at in the book of Lamentations, the lessons of looking within. Now, I did not get my notes to the guys, so that just means you're going to have to pay attention. Amen? I know that's difficult, but you're going to have to pay attention. Look down, if you will, to verse 1. Let's see what God was doing, even in Jeremiah's life, uh, throughout all of this difficulty and the adversity that they were facing. Verse 1, I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Now, you know, it'd be a shame to go through all that we've gone through in the last almost two years and not get the point. I'll be honest with you tonight, folks. I don't always get the point. Uh, sometimes my wife's jokes are kind of like my jokes. Uh, just like you don't get the point of my jokes, sometimes I don't get her jokes. My wife's jokes are on a totally different level. I have to tell her, honey, bring it down to the bottom shelf, all right? Why did the chicken cross the road? That's more my limit, okay? I know why, to get to my neighbor's house. Because every time I come down Avenue A, the chickens are crossing the road, and there's something on the other side of the road that my neighbor has that the chickens want. So there's the answer to that question, okay? I don't always get the point of her jokes, all right? If I don't get the point of my wife's joke, it's not the end of the world because I just laugh anyway, right? That's what we do. Just laugh anyway. Husbands, you need to learn how to do that. You young men that aren't married yet, learn to laugh even when you don't get it, all right? They'll find that cute. But if you miss the point of what God's trying to do, you're in trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. Now, folks, look, I don't blame the world for acting like the world, I don't blame the lost for acting like the lost, all right? I blame God's people for not getting the point of what God's trying to do through all that we're going through because here we are thinking, you know what? God's trying to straighten this world out. No, God's trying to straighten me out. That's what God's trying to do. God's trying to get the world to acknowledge what he's doing. No, God's trying to get me to acknowledge what he's doing. Now watch what Jeremiah says in verse number one. He shows us two things that God helped him to see in the adversity. The first one is very simple. It's right there in verse one. I am the man that have seen affliction. I am the man that have seen affliction by the rod of what? His wrath. Number one, notice that he acknowledged his God in his affliction. He says, I have seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Now, please see this. Stick with me tonight. Watch closely. He's not just saying, I'm going through affliction. He says, I know who sent it, and I know why. Jeremiah just didn't say, man, this is some rough stuff going on around us. Strange coincidences happening. 
Look, we've been living in about almost two years worth of strange coincidences, haven't we? Look, it's not strange coincidences. Jeremiah says, I understand who sent it. How do you know that? Look, look at verse 1. By the rod of his, he said, I know this is from God. And he says, wrath, and I know why it's come. Can I tell you tonight, one thing I believe God would have us to do as we go through this continued season of adversity, I think God would have us to look within to make sure that we're acknowledging God in all of this. Now, folks, look, I'm not a theologian tonight, but look, I can understand this is of God. This is God. All that we've been going through, I mean, our world has, has utterly changed, and could it be that God is trying to get his children to say, this is God. Why? Because for too long, we have learned to live without acknowledging God. I'll give an example. I'm going to tell on myself. Man, I hate telling on myself. It seems like I do that often up here with AJ. I hate that. We got to Montana, and I've been doing these, uh, uh, these, these backyard Bible clubs in, in neighborhoods for 26, 25, 26 years. Kind of got the routine down. We know what to do, know what to say. You don't have to study as much as we used to. And so we had all this set up. We rolled into town. And uh, we, we broke up into three different groups. We had uh, two clubs per group and went out to the Indian Reservation there uh, in St. Ignatius, Montana. We got out there on the first morning, went and knocked doors, saw kids everywhere. Started inviting kids to come to our club. Got to the little pavilion out there in the rundown playground. It was me and Miss Leslie and Joseph and Walker. We were all on one team together. And we sat there. And all those kids who said they were coming didn't come. We waited. We waited, we waited. Went back and knocked on a few more doors. Kids didn't come. They told us they would come. Brother Walker told me, he says, Brother Jeremiah, they're coming because they told me they were coming. I says, Walker, let me go ahead and give you some preacher advice. Just when they say they're coming, it doesn't mean they're coming. Go ahead and get used to that. Look, I wasn't trying to dash his hopes. I just tried to give him a dose of reality in ministry. Just because people tell you they're coming doesn't mean they're coming. That happens on a weekly basis to me. Texted over to Brother AJ, I believe it was. How's it going? No kids. So Michael, no kids. We've never had a problem getting kids. Matter of fact, Monroe in one week, we had 1,800 kids in five days in Monroe. And here we are the very first day, there's no kids coming to our club. And I'm trying to figure out what is going on. Matter of fact, yes, my wife, I got a little grumpy because we brought these kids all the way up here. All this trouble, all this work. Say, God, I know you wanted this up here. Prayed about it. You gave peace. I got who you wanted to come up here. We got all the way up here, and here we are. And God, there's no kids here. What's going on? I was going through a little bit of affliction. I was going through a little bit of trouble. And all of a sudden, it began to dawn on me. The reason I was going through that affliction is I was relying on myself a little bit. Gotten up there, said, we're just going to do our thing. We know what to do, how to get these kids out. We're going to offer. Man, we were offering hot dogs. We had a cooler full of hot dogs and candy. We're going to get, and the kids are all going to come out. And we were doing it, or I was doing it on my own power. And then finally, we knelt down on our knees under that pavilion on that rundown playground. And we said, God, you're going to have to do it. Say, God, we can't do it. God, we've tried our best. We've knocked on doors. We've invited people. I mean, we've practically bribed people to come. God, you're going to have to do it. And watch this. In the midst of my adversity, in the midst of my affliction, I found God. I acknowledged God. I acknowledged that it wasn't going to be me that got those kids out because I, I thought to myself, we've done this for 26 years. We're not going to have a problem getting kids to come out. And lo and behold, God allowed that affliction to come into my life. Why? It made me acknowledge him. 
God, this is only going to happen through you. And I think you'll hear Sunday night the story from some of the kids. I asked them, we were asking them on the way home uh, what are some things they learned during that time. And uh, that was one of the things I think one of them is going to mention this upcoming Sunday night. We had to acknowledge God. God, it's going to be you or nothing else. And boy, God brought us our kids and we saw kids say wonderful stories we'll tell you about Sunday night. Here's what I want you to understand. If you're not careful, you'll take for granted that things are always going to be the way they've been. Are we doing that in America? Land of the free, home of the brave, it's always going to be this way. But if we refuse to acknowledge God, we're in trouble. Why? Because it's of God. We're one nation under God. We are the land of the free and the home of the brave because we were, past tense, one nation under God. And could it be that God has allowed all this affliction to come into our life to finally get us to acknowledge God again? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we quote it all the time, but I don't know if we really realize what it says. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Have you ever lost your way? I'm not talking about on a road, I'm talking about in life. I believe our country's lost its way. You know why so many marriages have lost their way tonight? It's because we refuse to acknowledge God. Anytime you refuse to acknowledge God, you're always going to lose your way. Why? Because the Bible says the only way he'll direct your paths is when you acknowledge him. And we see here, Jeremiah says, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. What is Jeremiah saying? In this affliction, he acknowledged that it was of God. I want to show you something right quick. Revelation chapter 3 Verse number 19 shows us why this is so important to acknowledge God in our affliction. The Bible says to the church of Laodicea, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like rebuke. I don't like rebuke. I don't like being chastened. Uh, I don't like it when my wife chastens me. No, she doesn't chasten me. When I was a kid, I didn't like it when my dad chastened me. When I was a young man, I didn't like it when I was chastened by my elders or rebuked by my elders. I didn't like that. It was uncomfortable. It was affliction. But watch this. Verse 19 says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. God allows that chastening and that rebuke and that affliction to come. Why? To turn us back to him. Look, chastening and rebuke are some of the best things that could ever come in your life. Why? Because God uses it to help you learn to acknowledge him. I know people who would have never acknowledged God without affliction in their life. Maybe a car wreck. Maybe a family tragedy. Maybe a sickness. I know people who have been running from God, running from God, running from God, and finally some affliction comes in their life, some difficulty, some adversity comes in their life, and they finally have to acknowledge God that this is God doing all of this. And finally, when they acknowledge God, they repent and turn back to him. And the best thing that ever happened to them was that trouble that they went through. Could it be tonight that God is allowing us to go through all of this that we might look within to acknowledge him? God says, acknowledge me, look at me. Psalms 119.67, turn there with me if you will. It's easy to say what the world needs to do, isn't it? Boy, the world just needs to get right. I believe it's God's people need to look within. And Psalms 119 shows us the importance of it. Look at verse 67. David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Can I ask you what the turning point in verse 67 is? It's affliction. 
Look at the turning point. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, conjunction, but now I have kept thy word. What was the turning point? It was the affliction. The affliction made him look within. The trouble, the tragedy, when things got over his head and his sins were over his head, it finally made him look to God. Folks, tonight, could it be that this affliction we're going through is God trying to get his people to acknowledge him once again? Before we were afflicted, we went astray. But now have we kept thy word. Folks, can I tell you what the turning point is going to be for us? We realize God's trying to use this affliction in our life. God's trying to turn us with this affliction. Look down, if you will, to verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. What a mouthful. I'm going to be honest with you. Verse 71, those words never naturally want to come off my lips. It's good for me. When was the last time you said, man, I'm so glad I got a flat tire. So glad for that. When was the last time you're sitting there getting one of those COVID plungers stuck up your nose and they touch your brain? And you're thinking, man, didn't I luck up today? We took Miley to get hers a while back to get tested. We thought she was sick before we were on this trip. Or no, it was Leslie. Was it Leslie? I can't remember. She had sniffles or something. And we didn't want to carry that stuff out there. If she had it, she didn't have it. And we're sitting there in the, in the drive-thru. And I just told Miley. I said, no, it was Miley. I told Miley. I said, Miley, look, it's no worse than the flu swab. Now, how do I know that? It's just what I heard. I haven't had one, but that's just what I heard. I don't mind repeating what I heard. <laughs> Neither do you. I see your Facebook post. And uh, we're sitting there in line. The lady comes out to the car and she goes, who's the victim? I'm like, well, appreciate that. And I pointed to Miley. I'm holding Miley's hand. Boy, she's holding my hand. She's holding tight. And she squeezed it. And I said, it's going to be okay, baby, okay. And uh, I said, is this kind of like the flu test, right? She goes, no, it's worse. <laughs> Look, I believe in honesty too. But you can be too honest. Once again, I've seen your Facebook post, okay? You can be too honest. We're sitting there, man, and that lady shoves that thing up Miley's nose. Miley just backs off a little bit. It hurt a little bit, right? Didn't feel good. And then all of a sudden, oh, man, it hurt. When was the last time you went through something like that and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm just so glad I got to be here for this today. It's not often that we say it's good for me that I have been afflicted. But watch the turning point. Watch what affliction does, that I might learn thy statutes. First, he says, affliction, help me keep your word. Now he says in verse 71, affliction, help me learn thy statutes. Jeremiah says, I'm going through this affliction. And he says, it was his wrath. He said, I recognize this is God. This is God. Folks, could I beg you something tonight? If in the past 18 months you haven't paused to see if God's trying to help you learn something through this affliction, could I encourage you to do that tonight? Perhaps he would get over a little bit quicker if God's people just tried to realize and got the point of what God's trying to do through all this. God's trying to help us get right. You're thinking, man, if all those pride people just got right, you're exactly right. It's all of us pride people. It's all of us. Pride, go, pride goeth before destruction. It's my people, he says. If my people, which are called by my name, he says, look within. Don't sit there and look. Look, it's so easy to condemn the world, isn't it? Man, if all them people, they're just, all the Democrats and Republicans and politicians, they're just all bad. They're all bad. And so are we. We are his people that are holding up the blessings of God. Look down to verse 75, and I'll go back to Lamentations 1. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, 
and now in faithfulness has afflicted me. Oh my goodness. He says, first, I've learned to keep your word through affliction. Second, he says in verse 71, he says, I've learned your statutes. Now he says in verse 75, he's learned the faithfulness of God and the judgments of God are right. Finally, he turned the mirror on himself and says, boy, through this, I'm acknowledging God. God, I see what you're doing. Can I do one good thing about God? Boy, there's so many things we could talk about here tonight. God uses affliction for his purposes. God uses that. You know, oftentimes we waste affliction in what God's trying to do. No, God wants to use that. And through all of this, could God turn lost sinners to him? Absolutely. I've seen it happen. I've had more people ask genuine questions about eternity and the coming of the Lord since all of this happened than before. I mean, it's just been great. But can I tell you, I believe he wants God's people to look within and say, hey, what's God doing with all of this? Is God trying to show me something? Because folks, believe it or not, we're not always as right as we want people to think we are. Job chapter 42, verse 5. I'm going to hurry. After Job's affliction, he said this, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the year, but now mine eye seeth thee. I told the kids on Monday, uh, Tuesday night, Tuesday we had great clubs in Montana. Had kids come, had kids get saved. Just You'll hear a lot of the stories and see a lot of the pictures on Sunday night. And I read Job 42.5 to our kids. And I said, you know what? Yesterday you went through affliction. That was on Monday. You went through affliction. But that affliction made you seek God. And say, God, you got to work in here. God, you got to do something. God, we're depending upon you. We're not going to depend on ourselves. We're going to depend on you to direct our paths. And on Tuesday, we had kids galore. I says, you know what? I says, all your life, you've grown up in church, good families, and you've heard about the goodness of God. I says, but boy, today on Tuesday, you got to see him. They'll tell you, no exaggeration. We're standing under this pavilion, downcast, downtrodden on Tuesday. No kids have showed up. And they told me once again they're going to show up. No kids. I said, this is no way this can happen, God. God, what are you doing in this? We worked so hard to get up here. We prepared. We took the kids out of Hattiesburg. We trained them. They're ready to go. And here we are. There's no kids. And Leslie and I and Walker and Joseph just knelt down right there again. And we asked God, God, give us some kids. God, we've done everything we could do. And yet, God, there's no kids. This is no exaggeration. You ask my wife because she's honest. Within five minutes of us praying, the club was supposed to start at three. This was 3.40. We waited 40 minutes, no kids. Within five minutes of us praying, three kids come walking from this way. Robbie and his two friends. Two kids start walking from this way. A teenage girl by the name of Allie and her brother and her sister. Three kids started walking from this way. A kid by the name of Jesus, his sister Goddess, and their little sister, uh, queen you know who did that that was God because we had done everything that we could and now we just had to acknowledge God if it's going to happen you're going to have to do it and God showed up he said what are you trying to get at tonight here's what I'm trying to get at he says in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths could it be that God lets adversity and affliction come into our life to help us see and to look within and realize oftentimes we're acknowledging self rather than God? So number one, Jeremiah says this. Go back to Lamentations 1. I'll give you the second thing. I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. 
Jeremiah says, I am acknowledging God in all of this. I see God walking, working in all of this. But notice, if you will, verse 2. And we're going to hurry because I need to read down several verses. That's what Jeremiah says. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath built it against me and compassed me with gall and travail. And on and on and on and on. Now, here's what I want you to see real quickly. Jeremiah is not ashamed to share the difficulty that he has gone through. All right? Now, why is that so important? Well, oftentimes, we don't like to share our difficulties and our needs with people, do we? We like to appear before people as strong, cool, calm, collected. We've got our lives together. At least that's how we like to post it on Facebook, right? We like everybody to think that our life is everything that it needs to be and there's nothing out of order. We don't normally get to this place where we are sharing all of the needs in our life and we're sharing all the difficulties of our life, and yet Jeremiah is showing the difficulty he's going through in this time of adversity. Now, can I tell you something? This is not a desirable place to be. Notice what he says here. Verse 2, I'm in darkness. Verse 3, he feels alone. Verse 4, he feels hopeless and broken. Look down at verse 5 and 6, he's burdened and he's helpless. I mean, these are not things I like to mention, but here's, here's what's wonderful. Adversity oftentimes helps us be more open about who we really are and how needy we are. Now, why is that important? Number two, notice he acknowledged his needs in his affliction. Acknowledged his needs and his affliction. Now, this is important. Oftentimes, because of our pride, we refuse to acknowledge our needs. We refuse to acknowledge our difficulties. We don't want people to know that we're in darkness. We don't want people to know that we're alone. We don't want people to know that we're broken, verse number four. We don't want to know in verse five that we feel surrounded. We don't want people to know that we are burdened down. We don't want people to know those things about us, do we? So we hide them. And yet in those times, watch this, it's like holding on to something that's going to kill us. But through adversity, we help, watch this, acknowledge the needs of who we really are. Now understand this, acknowledging the needs in our life is not something that comes natural either. Remember, I'm a male. Not only am I a male, I'm an American male, all right? That means I am full of pride, and I'm an Andrews, which makes it times two. I'm full of pride. I don't like admitting weakness. I don't like admitting shortcomings. I don't like admitting difficulties. Anytime my wife says, can you, the answer is always yes. I don't care what it is. And boy, that's gotten me in some trouble. She's learned how to play that card to her advantage. Honey, can you open this mayonnaise? Give it here. Pop it open. I know she just does that to make it feel important, but it still works, makes it feel important. Honey, can you build? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I've got myself in some trouble with that. I don't like saying I can't. And yet here's Jeremiah showing us something that affliction will do. It'll help you acknowledge your needs, which is something we don't want to do normally. So where do we get that from? Well, go on back to Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. Verse 12. When Adam stood before the Lord and he has sinned, whose fault was it? Genesis 3.12, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. Look at this. I mean, he's a newly minted sinner. <laughs> he hasn't been a sinner very long. And yet he's learned the rule number one. Rule number one is don't acknowledge your sin. Hide it. Cover it up. Pretend it's not there. Or worst case scenario, blame it on your wife. 
We've all done it, haven't we? Blame it on our wife, blame it on our husband. I mean, that's part of your marriage vows, that it's okay to throw each other under the bus from time to time to get out of trouble, right? Admit it, you've done it before. What is Adam doing? He's not acknowledging his need. He's not saying, you know what, it's, it's my fault. I should man up. I did wrong. I transgressed the word of God. No, he's not acknowledging it. And folks, we get that from him. It's in our DNA to not acknowledge the needs and the shortcomings and difficulties of our life. Jeremiah says, I'm in darkness. I'm alone. I'm broken. He says, I'm hopeless and I feel burdened. Why? Because now the judgment of God is even hitting home with him. Now, folks, I believe we need to follow in the footsteps of Jeremiah and look within. Why? Because we're not as everybody wants us to, we want everybody to think we are. We want everybody to think everything's okay. And we're the, the Norman Rockwell painting of a family. And we don't have problems. We don't have troubles. And I will tell you, the longer that you refuse to acknowledge the needs and difficulties in your life, the longer you're going to have the needs and difficulties in your life. Because the first step to getting help is admitting that we have a problem. Jeremiah 33, 3, what does it say? Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. But those last few words of that verse are the most important. You got to get to the place where you realize there's some things I knowest not. You got to get to the, what does the Bible say? If any man lack wisdom, let him what? Ask. Here's God who has wisdom. The Bible says he giveth liberally unto all men. He upbraideth them not. God's not going to chastise you when you ask him for wisdom. But oh, what keeps us from having the wisdom that God offers to us? It says, if any man lack. Well, in asking for wisdom, you're confessing at the same time that you're lacking it. And how often do we not want to acknowledge the areas in our life that we're lacking? Help you have a little perspective tonight. Proverbs 29.1. It's a verse I quote off. It's a verse I use with teenagers a lot. Listen close. Proverbs 29.1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. That's a scary verse, isn't it? Being suddenly destroyed in that without remedy. That's when something's broken uh, like Humpty Dumpty and you can't put it back together again. Okay? Now, I know a lot of people's life that are that way. They're so broken. I talked to a friend of mine the other day, uh, one of the first, uh, the, the first church that I pastored, one of the men that was in there, uh, boy really just messed up his life and is now in prison. And I asked uh, a friend, I says, how are they doing? He says about, they're doing about 40 years, 40 years. Not long before that happened. Remember that? We stood in their living room, talked with him and his wife and his kids. And man, it's a beautiful family, beautiful property, beautiful home. Everything was seemingly together, but everything was not seemingly together behind the scenes. He sits in prison for 40 years. While his kids graduate high school, while his kids get married, his wife is remarried and moved on, and now he's, he's sitting in prison. What happened? He wouldn't acknowledge a need that was in his life. It was a need that had gone on a long time. I didn't even know it was there, but him and God knew it was there, and he wouldn't acknowledge it. Here's what happens. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. All right? You see that old mule, that old oxen that's there in the, in the yoke, and you're trying to turn him? And what does he do? Stiffens that neck? Nuh-uh, uh-uh. Watch, he's trying to steer this way and you're wanting to go this way. Here's what's happening. That mule or that oxen, they're not acknowledging. He says this way and you're like, no, I'm going this way. The Bible says you'll suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Why? You wouldn't acknowledge your need. The master said, go this way. And you said, no, I'm going this way. And you missed out on the opportunity to have the blessings of God, and yet you chose destruction because you wouldn't acknowledge your need. John 8, 7, we read the account of the woman who was taken in adultery. 
Oh, what a beautiful picture of the grace of God, isn't it? The mercy and the grace of God. She's taken in adultery and she's standing there and all the guys are ready to stolen her. How often are we those guys? Rock in hand, rock in hand. Man, we have been throwing rocks at the pride movement. It's an abomination to God. But my soul, could it be that we got a little bit of that packed up in here as well? Could it be that we got some? Imagine if we attacked this pride as much as we're attacking that pride. I'll promise you, America would look a whole lot different. But we don't like to look within. We like to look without. And we're those guys with the rocks. Where's somebody with pride? We want to hunt them down. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So Jesus is standing there, and he's, he's riding in the dirt. And what did he say? John chapter number 8, verse 7. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Do you know what the point of that was? Do you know what the point of that was? To get them to acknowledge their sin. He said, you're so hyped up on hers, which was a kangaroo court to begin with. He says, you failed to acknowledge yours. It was there all along. And folks, look, I'll promise you tonight, look, sin is sin, abominations are abominations, but folks, look, if we just look within as much as we look without, oh, how this country would be different. Oh, how our homes would be different. If we say, God, what are you trying to do through all? What's the point? Of, look, what was the whole point of he that was out without sin among you, let him cast the first stone? He was just trying to get them to look within. And what did they do? The Bible says they filed out of there. Why? Because they finally saw themselves the way that God saw them. I kind of feel like there was a pile of rocks there on the ground left behind because they didn't need them anymore because they were going to be too busy cleaning up what was on the inside of their life instead of trying to condemn someone else's life. So number two, what will adversity and affliction do? It'll help us acknowledge our needs. It helps us acknowledge God, and it helps us acknowledge our needs. I'll give you this, and we'll close. One of my favorite accounts in the Bible is in John 5. It's uh, the miracle at the pool of Bethesda. The man had been, been, been ail, ailing for 38 years. That's a long time, long time. Jesus comes along and he asks him, wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? What did he say? He says, well, you know that the angel that comes down and troubles the waters, he says, I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. Can you imagine how frustrating that had to have been? You know, the angel comes down, troubles the waters, and all of a sudden somebody else jumps in. I'm telling you, my flesh would have got riled up. I probably would have had a handful of rocks. Every time somebody jumps, jumps to the, my legs may not work, but I'm going to throw a rock at you to keep you from getting in there. That's not what I would have done. He says, I have no man to help me in the water. But what was the question Jesus asked him when Jesus saw him lie? Verse number 6, John 5, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Here's what's interesting. What if that guy had said, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. Because see, when he asks him, wilt thou be made whole, he's automatically telling him he's not whole. Now, what was the contingency for him getting whole? Acknowledging it. Yep. Yep. I need to be made whole. And the sad picture today is, I think so many Christians are sitting around that pool, lame, for way beyond 38 years, all because we will not acknowledge that we're not whole. We're okay, and we have no needs in our life. 
And yet Jeremiah gives us a beautiful picture here. I am the man that have seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Jeremiah says, I see God. I acknowledge God's working in this. God's working. God's working. Can I ask you something? The last two years, boy, they've been crazy. They have been crazy. It's been, been weird for all of us. But could it be that we've gotten so distracted by what's going on in the world and what we think should go on in the world and what God's trying to do in the world that we're neglecting to say, hey, what is God trying to do in me? 35 times he says, I, me, or my. It's personal. It hit home. Can I ask you, have you let the, uh, the adversity and the affliction of what we've been going through, have you let it hit home? What is God trying to do in you? All right? Uh, look, I, I know all that stuff outside the world, all that needs to change too. But what about me? What's the little song say? It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Tonight, I believe Lamentations here, chapter number three, is showing us the lesson of looking within. I think God, I know God wants us to look within. Look within. What is God trying to do? Can I ask you a question? Is God trying to use all of this adversity to get you to look within? Look within. Acknowledge him. You've been living by your own way, your own ideas, your own doctrines. Why don't you acknowledge me? This is me working. Jeremiah says, it's him working. I have seen, I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He said, this is God. This is God. And I see how that applies to me. And then he says, all these things in his life, these needs, I acknowledge them. I acknowledge them. Can I ask you tonight? Is God trying to show you something within and yet we're too busy looking without? I would encourage you tonight as the Holy Spirit of God tugs at your heart's door and makes clear his will for your life, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Because at one point or enough in our lives, we're all going to be sitting around that pool of Bethesda and he says to us, "Wilt thou be made whole. He can do it and he desires to do it but we've got to choose to acknowledge it tonight. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll stop there.